0: Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Chapter 28. And we are, in a sense, at the apex of Deuteronomy. Chapters 28 through 30 are very, very important chapters. In a certain sense, they are a summary of where uh, Moses was going as he was teaching the new generation. Remember the purpose of the book of Deuteronomy teaching the new generation before they entered into the land. The older generation they had died off in the wilderness. And now the new generation, in fact, from 20 years of age and uh, uh, under, were the ones who would be entering the land. Those who were 20 years years of age and up perished in the wilderness. And so a new generation is going to enter the land and Moses is repeating the basics of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomos means second law or repeat of the law. Second law, repeat of the law. I want to pick up at chapter 28, and we started into this uh, last week. Uh, Let's start at verse 15 of chapter 28. These are very, very important chapters, 28, 29, 30. Verse 15, It shall come about that if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now wait a minute. If God knew that they could not keep the law, why is God giving them this law? Well, first of all, it was because the law is good, the law is holy, the law was spiritual. The Apostle Paul says that. The law would be ideal for all of us to live by this law. The Jews attempted to live by the law, and there was nothing wrong with attempting to because if they failed, there was forgiveness in, the, in bringing the, the sacrifice. They would bring a sacrifice, repent, and confess their sins, and their fellowship would be restored with the Lord. They would be back in fellowship if they failed the law, and they would fail the law. But well, what happened by the time of Christ is that the Jews thought that if they kept the law, they would be saved and uh, that this is how they would find salvation is by keeping the law and there was nothing further than the truth further from the truth than that they were were not going to be saved by law keeping nowhere do you see that to keep the law would give salvation this is what they were to do as in their fellowship with God to be obedient the law is perfect, wouldn't it be great if all of us could keep the basic principles of the law but we cannot does that mean we throw it just to trash it throw it to the wind, no the principles are there, and by the way, the basic good spiritual principles of the law are repeated in the New Testament. These are these are basic thoughts and basic principles uh, of, of, of murder and adultery and lust and, and evil and so forth that we are we are to f- f- not do, of course. So we don't chunk the law, but we don't. We, but we realize that my efforts that's not enough i need an aid for me to do god's will and i have two aids the word of god and the holy spirit these are the aids there are sub aids to to my obeying god and the sub aid would be your spouse who will try to keep you keep you straight and to uh, convict you if we're if, if we are going wrong the husband or wife is going wrong there's a conviction of that. Age is another thing. And experience there are other things that, that help us realize you know, what God said is right. And if I, if I go against these principles, uh, I'll be harmed. I'll harm others. And so we have AIDS along the way, but the two big AIDS is the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God within us to help us understand and, and, but again we're, we can't keep the law that's why the new covenant replaces this the Mosaic law the new covenant replaces it the new covenant gives us the Holy Spirit the new covenant gives us the work of Christ to take care of our overall sin issue he died on the cross for us and yet to see these laws and to want to live these laws to do what's right is certainly right but we are not under the dispensation of the law itself. We cannot keep the law. Look at verse 20. The Lord will send upon you curses. If you if if, if Israel, and this is for Israel, this is specifically for Israel, you'll send upon you curses, confusion, and the rebuke and all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed, until you till you perish quickly, on account of the evil of your deeds. Because you have forsaken me. Now about, wait a moment. He's not talking about just the fact that they can't are not keeping the law. He's talking in verse twenty about their repudiating the law. I'll just do what I want to do. I'll just live all the evil I want to live. I don't have to keep the law. I won't try. I don't have to do what God says. And the person who has that attitude, that person will will die in Israel. Listen, when you talk about the Jewish people in the land what they're doing in the land with the law what's their attitude toward the law and God's commands and if they play games with God and say I don't need that I'll just do what I want to do curse will come you will perish quickly and lo and behold the Jewish people turned from the law they turned to the gods of the Canaanites they turned to gross immorality and sin and lo and behold they were were destroyed they were scattered because of this. Verse 21, the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until He has consumed you from the land where you're entering to possess it. He'll drive you off of this land. He'll he'll remove the protection that He has given to you. Look at verse 24. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust From heaven it shall come down on you until you're destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Look at verse 26. Your carcasses (laughs) shall be food to the birds of the sky and the beasts of of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. I don't think we realize the great contrast Of how God made revelation to these people and gave them revelation in his heart and his mind and his commandments over against comparing all the other nations of the world. The great immorality and the great sin uh, and the great evil that was in all the nations of the world. And we're going, we're going we're going in that direction. If we repudiate, if our people repudiate the new covenant, it starts with salvation in Christ, they repudiate the new covenant say we don't need to trust in God. We don't need to listen to His Word. There will be a judgment. We're not under the dispensation of the law. But the law has said many good things. And, and, and our people are turning from the revelations that we have in the New Testament. are turning away from Christ. Uh, they're galloping away from God. Verse 27, The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt, with the tumors and with the, with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Verse twenty eight The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness, and with bewilderment of heart, and you shall grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. The Jews were given a prosperity. Prosperity is not automatically guaranteed if you obey God. But it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a side benefit that God will prosper the people who who listen to Him and and who obey Him. But God will take away their prosperity. You shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall violate her. You shall build a house, but you shall not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you won't use its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey will be torn away from you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies. You shall have none to save. All the, the, the evil that will come upon you in terms of, of the prosperity, the benefits to the nation. God will no longer be protecting you as a people. Your sons and your daughters will be given to another people. The enemy will come in make slaves of your children. In other words, verse 33, a people whom you did not know. In fact, let's back up a notch. Let's finish verse thirty. Uh, excuse me, we read 32, let's look at 33. A people whom you did not know shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors and you shall never be uh, and, and you shall never be anyth- anything but oppressed and crushed continually. You shall be driven mad by the sight of what you see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head the Lord will bring you and your king whom you shall set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. You shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become a horror, a proverb, a taunt among all the people where the Lord will drive you. Uh, you, You'll be written off. And by the way, uh, the the, the persecution of the Jews the last 2,000 years, how they have been hated among the nations to which they have gone uh you shall uh, you shall bring out much seed to the field but you shall gather in little for the locust shall consume it the locust shall eat up what you have um, flip over to chapter 28 verse 47 2847 and these two verses 47 and 48 i cannot help but think of america cannot help but think of america because you "...did did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies. You shall be a slave to your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you." Notice it's the Lord sending against you, the enemy. God will judge His own people. He'll put, put us and put the Jews out of the highway to be run over, if you will, by the enemies, by the other nations the enemies whom the Lord he will send against you he will send against you in hunger and in thirst in nakedness in the lack of all things and he'll put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you now it seems to be by verse 49 we come to 49 that some of these verses would apply to either Assyria the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom or even Rome later on We're not sure what nation we would ascribe to these verses. And Under said it could be Assyria or even Rome. But listen to these verses. Verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down. A nation whose language you shall not understand. A nation of fierce face. The word countenance means face. They have a fierce face. An evil face. He shall have no respect for the old in your, in your nation, nor shall s- show favor to the young of your people. Look at verse 53. This is what makes us think that this is Assyria, or even the Babylonians because there was cannibalism. And also, by the way, there was cannibalism when the, when the Romans encircled the book of, of, book of, Jeru- of the city of Jerusalem. There was cannibalism in Jerusalem. Verse 53, You will eat the offspring of your own body. Your own children, you'll eat them. The flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, during the siege and the distress by which your enemies shall oppress you. This happened with the Assyrian invasion and also even the Romans when they encircled the city of Jerusalem in 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 69 70 AD. Look at verse, verse 58. Verse 58. If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law, which had written in this book to fear this honored and awesome name that is the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they'll cling to you. And every sickness and every plague which... Of which not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring on you until you're destroyed. Then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you did not obey the Lord your God. It will come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish. God will be glad that you perish. Now, one, look up here for a second because they chose judgment instead of grace judgment instead of grace and judgment is one of God's works as well as his grace is one of his works and God does not mind bringing judgment upon his people if his people are wayward and turn against him look at it again he will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you shall be torn from the land where you've entered, entered where you are entering to possess it, moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other into the earth, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known, and among these nations you'll find no rest, there will be no resting place for the soul, your foot, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, despair of soul. So your life will hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread night and day. You shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, "Oh God, we were evening." At evening you will say, "Oh God, we were morning." Because of the dread of your heart, which you dread, and for the sight of your eyes, which you shall see, and the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way about which I spoke to you, and you'll never see it, the land again. And there you will serve. You will offer yourself for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no one, no one who will who will buy. There will be no buyers. By the way, please notice verse sixty-eight. You'll be taken back to Egypt in ships. That happened when the Romans besieged the city of Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem, its walls, and the temple. The, the, there were 100,000 100, young Jewish men and women who were chained together and marched to the seacoast to Joppa, boarded on Roman ships and taken to Egypt to work the salt mines of Egypt. That happened in 70, 71 A.D. This was fulfilled in prophecy with the destruction of Jerusalem and the taking of the Jews back to Egypt to serve as slaves back in Egypt. Some years ago, I had a Bible class. I was asked to have a Bible class among some young Jewish college students in north dallas and i took them to a course that i had developed called "The walk through the bible and i took them up to this passage here in deuteronomy they were following me i had had three or four weeks with them Uh, i had not mentioned christ yet i was certainly coming up to the person of christ and the plan of god and i read them these verses right here that we just read verses 63 to 68 And as I was finished reading these verses, these young Jewish kids in college age got up, tears in their eyes, they were cursing, they were banging their hands on the chairs and left the room. And one of the leaders of this Jewish group came up to me and said, Dr. Couch, you don't understand. He said, these kids in this room, these students, many of their grandparents died in the concentration camps in Germany. And this this passage is a, is a terrible passage against what happened to their families and their grandparents there in Germany where it says the Lord will give you a trembling heart. Your life will hang in doubt before you. Day and night you'll have no assurance of your life. Many of their grandparents survived the camps and most of them died in the camps. And they can't take this. And the class stopped. I couldn't go on any further. They, they, they canceled the class. Uh, the passages were so so uh, forceful to them, so so realistic, but at the same time, they couldn't go on. They, they, didn't, they didn't want to hear this. They didn't want to deal with this. Look at chapter 29. And verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 1. Chapter 29. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Noam, Moab, besides the covenant which He had made with them at Horeb, which is the law. Uh, The the, the law was given uh, at, at Mount Sinai or Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all His servants and all His land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reach this place, this place where they're going to enter the land, and that would be at Jericho, just north of the Dead Sea. When you reach this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbah, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out to meet you as for battle, but we defeated them. Now those are small little tribal peoples about at the point where you would enter the land at Jericho, just north of the Dead Sea. These kings were defeated, and we took their land, and we gave their land as an inheritance to the two tribes of the Reubenites and Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Massites, and that's east of Jordan. That's just east of Jordan. If you look at the Jordan River, Those lands are just east of the Jordan. They were taken away from these two pagan kings, and the land was given east of the Jordan to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh. Verse 9 So keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God your chiefs and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives and the strangers who's with your camps, for the one who chops your wood, to the one who draws your water, the, the servants that you have, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into His oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that He may establish you today as His people, that He may be your God just as He spoke to you, and as He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant or this oath, but both with those who stand here, who are about to enter the land, with us today at the presence in the presence of the Lord your God, and with those who are not with us here today. This oath, this promise, this, this covenant is made not only with you about to enter the land, but your children after you. It's a Perpetual covenant, and it's made with you and those who will follow. You need to keep it. Now, I want you to keep your finger here and go to Romans seven. By the way, I don't know about you all, but it's a little cool in here. At least you might come, turn turn that cool down. We can hang meat in the couches. Meat on <laughs> Go to go to Romans chapter seven. Romans seven. We are not under the law, but the principles of the law are great principles. Their problem is that they are so good <laughs> that we are unable in our flesh to keep them. That's why we need the enablement of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're not under under the law covenant. Though the principles are there and there's so much that we can draw from them as we have all the weeks that we have been here in Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 7, and I want to begin at verse 4 of Romans Romans 7 4. Therefore, my brothers, speaking to us, because it's a church letter, the Romans, but be addressed to us as part of the church. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law. We were made to die to the law, because we really can't maintain it. Through the body of Christ. That you might be joined to another, that is to him rather than to the law, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. Please notice that. We're joined to Christ. Why? To bear fruit. To bear fruit for God. This kind of ties into what we talked about earlier this morning to bear fruit for God. We're tied to Christ to bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. How can the law do that to us? Because as I try to keep the law, it keeps saying, "Counts, you're failing. You're failing. You're failing. If I say that I'm being sanctified and pleasing God or being saved by keeping the law, I end up being a failure. I cannot keep the law. So what do I have to do? Oh, God, by Your Spirit working in me, help me be obedient. Have, this, have Your Spirit work through me to cause me to do what's right. If I just look at the, at the, at the law on stone or tablet uh, and say, I can do that, I can do that, I'm going to fail. And it's going to bring out the fact that I'm a sinner. It's going to keep saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Uh, Look at verse 6. But now we have been released from the law. By the way, the Apostle Paul says the law is good if used properly. He says the law is good if you use it right. But if you don't use it right, uh, there's consequences because I can't keep it. I can't do it. But now we've been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter, the letter of the law. Newness of the Spirit. Now look up here. If our, if our spirit is charged up by the Word of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, and if we, we are enthusiastic about our Christian life, then there is success. But we're not doing it by keeping the letter of the law, but we are living by a newness of of walking with the Holy Spirit. Something that is new. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the problem the fact that the law is sin itself? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have known. I would come to to know sin except through the law. The law keeps saying, "Couch, you're a failure. You're a failure. You can't do this. You can't do this. You're a sinner. Except through the law, I, I know sin. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, sin, the problem of sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is, is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me it worked against me it defeated me because it keeps saying you can't do it you can't do it you're a sinner you're a sinner for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me you know one of the things that we human beings like to do the most is do we like to achieve we like to do something and we think we can, we can, we can be successful. To do, you know the old story. Why, why would anyone want to climb a, a, to, to Mount Everest? Because it's there. <laughs> because it's there. If I can just do something, I'll feel good about myself, and I can succeed. And you know, blah blah blah. I can keep the law. I can make God happy. He's so good to have me on his team, or I'm so good to be on his team. He's, he's so he, he's, he's so blessed because of me. I can do what He says. No, no, I really can't. I really can't. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, do that which is good became a cause of death for me. A cause of death for me. So many people think that they can keep the law. Do we go out and sin because we can't keep the law? No, 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 no. That's not His point. Miss Paul's point. Paul says we have a new dynamic. It's not. It's not to keep what the law says on parchment. The new dynamic is the work of the Spirit of God within me to enable me to do what God wants me to do. To assist me to enable me when where I where I fail where I cannot I cannot do do what He wants me to do. There's an old saying, and it's kind of a trite saying, but there's truth to it. Let go and let God. As I keep trying to please God, I keep failing. Ah, God, I can't do this. That's what He wants to hear. Because when I say that, then His Spirit can work. His Spirit can come in and work with me, within me. Once I say, I am, Lord, I'm, I'm a failure. You know, that's one of the words that He wants to hear the most. I'm a failure? Then He can come along and Sure us up. If when I say, Lord, I cannot save myself. He wants to hear that. Because then I say, I have to run to the cross for salvation. I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't by my own personal efforts or talents or abilities do what God wants me to do, though I'm supposed to. So I have to fall back on Philippians. It is God who is working in you to the willing and the doing of His good pleasure. It is God who works in you to the willing to be willing to and to the doing of His good pleasure. It is God who is working in you to will and then to do His good pleasure. It is God who is working in you. It is God. It's not your own efforts. I don't think and You know, there's a. a, It's kind of like trying to learn how to ride a bicycle. I don't think we just go past and just flop and fall on the floor like a like a pillow. Just kind of you know, we still are conscious of what is right and wrong, and we still are conscious of what we are to be doing. But we also have to admit before Him our inadequacies, so that He can become adequate so that He can do what He wants to do with us. By the way, so often when we try to do something, the, the secret to that or the, the issue there is we try to do something, what I want to do, what I think is right, and sometimes we don't know what's right. The Bible is our guide. The Bible is our textbook. But how to apply that particular verse right there, right there, in order to, what should I, how should I respond to this situation Or this or this issue, and how do I do this that is supposed to be right? We struggle to make that work. Abraham Lincoln, over and over and over again, said to God and said to others, what a failure he was. And guess what? He was the most used president of God Almighty that has ever lived. He was the most used. The most blessed. And He's the one who kept knocking Himself down. He thought He was gawky. He thought He was ugly. He thought He was stupid. He said, God, I can't handle these people. I don't know what to do with this nation. I can't handle this. I'm not up to this. And He's the one who did the most. It was God working in Him. I'm convinced that if he was not a believer when he entered the White House, he was before he left. I would say halfway through or even before, Abraham Lincoln came to the Lord. I've got a whole book just on his spiritual life. It's incredible. Awesome book on the spiritual life of Abraham Lincoln. Look at, uh, look at verse 13. Therefore, <clears throat> did that which is good become a cause of death to me? May it never be. It was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my my death through that which is good the law that through the commandment sin sin might become utterly sinful look at that what does the law do? it amplifies our failures it amplifies the fact that we are weak now look look up here saying I can blind myself to my weaknesses man I'm pretty good hey I got this all together I really got it down in reality, we don't. So we have to keep staring at the law. Can I do that? Am I doing that? Am I really, really faithful or not? And the law keeps saying, you're a failure. You're a failure. It's good. The problem is me. It's not the law. Look at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. What's the law? It's spiritual. I come from verse 12. It's holy. In verse 12, it's righteous. In verse 12, it's good. But I'm a flesh. Ah, ah. It's the flesh. Now, by the way, look up here a second. It's not this. It's not talking about the skin. It's talking about the, the motivation of the self. When he talks, the Bible speaks of the flesh, what I can do by myself, my efforts, my abilities, my, my, my talents. That's the flesh. And the flesh thinks it so good. And it was Abraham Lincoln who kept knocking down his flesh. Knocking down his flesh. I'm a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I'm doing... Look at this, look at 15. I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. If I do the very thing I do, I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it's good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It is sin that keeps coming to the surface and sin is motivated by our flesh and our self boy you put myself in the way, in the way. Get, get myself in the, in, in the mix and you got problems mm-hmm. myself wants to serve myself myself wants to make me, me happy myself says I'm right myself self 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 I know that nothing good dwells in me wow what a statement did you know in our in our college and our high schools the kids are told the opposite? You're good. You're good. You're good. You didn't mean need a little tweaking. Secular like psychology says that you're worth something. You're good. Paul says the opposite. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's it, that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Did you know when we do certain things, we think that we're, we're right, and in, in reality, it's the opposite—we're wrong. But if I am not doing, but if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wishes to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. But I see a different law. Look at the verse twenty-three. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. We are so, the sin in us is so subtle. It is so subtle. Oh, I don't do the bad ten things. The, you know the list of ten or twelve things. I don't do those big bad things. But there's little subtleties that we do. We don't call them sin. The little things that are destructive, we think we're right. We don't call those things sin. We have trouble identifying what sin is in our flesh. We have real trouble identifying what it is. And that's where we have to say, Boy, is this hard? Is this ever hard? Lord, I am a sinner, I am failing. Oh Lord, I don't want to say that. I don't want to admit to that. But I'm failing. And You have to come in by Your Spirit and reveal to me how and where and why I am failing because I can't get it together. I have a huge problem. And Your Spirit is what has come in and make a change in me. Look at verse 24. Paul throws up his hands. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Master, our Master, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, I am serving the law of sin. My intentions may be good, but there's a subtlety going on inside of me. There's an agenda going on inside of me. On one hand, I want to do right. And I believe every believer that I know, every believer that I know, has the heart to really want to serve God. But then we start trying and start our efforts. And lo and behold, we're really serving ourselves. We like what we're doing. It's hard for us to identify what I'm doing is really wrong and is harmful to others. It's hard for me to get get hold of that. The Spirit of God has to keep working and working. By the way, He he does not break our arm or break our leg. The Spirit of God doesn't do that. He has to work for months and sometimes years to get us straight. Because one of the most powerful things in this world is sin. It is tenacious. It grabs. It holds on. It is rebellious it's very hard for God to break me free from subtle, subtle, subtle sin that's within. And sometimes He has to use difficulties and problems, failures, failures, to cause me to say, Oh, God, oh, Lord, Lord, oh, help me. He has to work on us and work on us because I don't want to have nothing. I don't, I don't want to admit to myself or to you that I'm a failure and that I'm not doing what's right. And the Spirit of God has to get us by the nap of the neck where I'm willing to say, I am a failure and I can only do what's right by the power and work of the Spirit of God and the enlightenment of this book Ron Quiggins came up and made a very profound little statement a while ago Ron you deserve a sucker for this statement he said I said this morning about it, the fact that we come to church to listen and he made a good correction we don't come just to listen we come to to learn and then practice it. not just to hear the words but to learn. Law is good. The problem is us. And that was the problem of the nation of Israel. Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask Your blessing upon us this morning and cause us to really look within. And even looking within, we can fool ourselves. Lord, help us to listen carefully to Your Spirit and to read carefully Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.